Hello and welcome to the Pen Attic Podcast on Relay FM. This is episode number 568, and I'm your host, Brad Dowdy. And you know that if I'm doing the intro, that I have a special guest on the other end of the line. Who, you might ask? Well, let's l- welcome in Frank from Elwood. Hi, Frank. How are you doing? Hello, Brad. Nice to be <laughs> online with you. <laughs> this is this is pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Um, we've known each other you know, air quotes online for a couple of years. You know, I've uh, been a fan of your work for a while, um, yeah. which we'll get into later. So I wanted to bring you on and talk about everything Elwood and everything Frank and kind of figure out uh, how things are going uh, over there for you and and your your recent uh, efforts into pin, the pin making world. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Brett. Uh, I'm yeah. very excited to be here with you online. Yeah. So what I like to do with new guests, especially guests that maybe not everyone's familiar with, is I want to get a little bit of background and not necessarily like professional background, but I want to know if pens and stationery played any role in your life when you were younger. Like, did you have any type of, um, you know, love of stationery? Did you did you grow up in Germany for your whole life? Is that the uh, is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I grew up in Germany, but in the eastern part, in East Germany. So mm-hmm. uh, I I was born 1976, and as you mm-hmm. might be familiar with, Germany was divided by that time, mm-hmm. and I was in the Russian zone of Germany, uh, which was called East Germany back then. So uh, yes, of course, we uh, 46 years ago there was not so many uh, digital stuff around us. Um, and yes, we learned in school how to write properly by hand using fountain pens, mm. which was quite an exercise back then. It did not used to be the biggest love in school <laughs> for me, but uh, they taught us handwriting, which is mm-hmm. uh, a skill that got lost for a couple of years uh, in school systems. And mm-hmm. luckily it came back, I think, around six, seven years ago, when my son went to school, he had to write uh, uh, with a fountain pen as well, which I think uh, is really great because, as we all know in this community, it's not only a beauty of writing experience, it's uh, scientifically proven that there's a connection between your brain and your hand when you write uh, with a pen, and the fountain pen is the one that makes you write slowly, so... Uh, you can learn better. Uh, it's, it has many uh, advantages to learn it that way. Yeah, and I, I love always hearing about how prevalent the the fountain pens and the handwriting are, especially in a lot of the European countries as opposed to America, where we'll learn handwriting and things like that, but not with fountain pens. And yeah. I've always appreciated that fact um, that not only did you do it when you were younger, um, your your son's now doing it now, at least yeah. probably to a little bit lesser degree than you did it. Uh, <laughs> do they, are they as frustrated with uh, the oh, the yeah. fountain pen as you might have been when you were younger, or do they have like a special fancy fountain pen that you allow them to take to school? <laughs> uh, no, no, actually, he has it's such a normal, uh, just a normal pen uh, from from the supermarket, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there was no special thing. He he's saving up. On a material he's in love with to make one on his own in, in my workshop one day. He's oh, 11 nice. now, not quite patient enough, uh, 
But he, he's got a nice collection of materials some pen makers would be jealous of <laughs> already. <laughs> uh, put aside for the day to come. Yes. Yeah, I love you love I love hearing that. I love hearing that. So <laughs> you and I are of yes. a similar age, uh, a similar eras. And I know that Elwood's only started a few years ago, which means yes. you probably had a career long prior to this. Is that fair yes. to say that you um, were going to get into like the founding and the start of Elwood and everything? But um, what were you doing prior to starting this uh, this fountain pen thing? Yeah, I, I actually, I had a couple of careers, if you could say that. Like, I'm I'm a classic entrepreneur, I would say, in in the sense of I like following paths that I'm passionate uh, with. Usually it starts as a hobby mm -hmm. and then I just dive in with everything I have committed to that and uh, try to make a profession out of it. Just for example, when I was 14 years old, I was uh, in a little discotheque in a youth club in my hometown. So I started uh, becoming a DJ back then. It's a nice. very small, small hometown. No? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, I, but I did that for about 20 years, I think, until really? I turned 34. So I'm, I'm famous when it comes to that hometown, but no, outside of that, nobody knows me. <laughs> Being right. a DJ. It was, it was a hobby. I love music. I still listen to music every day over the headphones. I'm talking to you right now. Um, music is a very big part of my life, so I did that for a job. Um, mm. Then I did photography uh, for a lot. I used to have an analog darkroom in the basement of my parents' house, uh, developing dark, black and white uh, photography, which is quite good in a sense uh, until today because uh, many pictures you see on my website, the product shots, are made by me. Mm. It's, uh, it's something I enjoy as much as uh, pen making itself. And the profession I actually became when I was an adult was uh, I wanted to become a teacher, but took a side way to become an educator, I think it's called. A social worker might be the okay, right sure. word. I lived uh, and shared my life with children that don't have a proper home. Mm -hmm. And so I moved uh, in a house with them and stayed 24 hours, 24-7 around being an a spare parent, if you want to say. Yep. So, and, and out of that uh, very yeah, intense work and experience, I made myself self-employed with a partner and founded a social company where we did exactly like that. We, we helped children, families to, in the best way, live together for themselves. That I have been doing for 20 years. That's wonderful. I, yeah, that is a, a really valuable, <laughs> valuable thing for for the world, like not just like in your local community, but for people to give their lives and dedicate their lives to to that type of work is is really amazing. So yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. great. Um, and listening to you talk about not just like your uh, like your social work type of job, like the the jobs prior to that, um, definitely had a creative bent to them right like music photography yes. art design things like that did that type of creativity eventually like light a spark in you to say hey you know i'm doing doing this great social work and you know maybe i need a hobby on on the side and and how did it come to where you decided to make your first pen yeah um the social work is is a very intense work between human beings so mm -hmm. you 
uh, you get lots of uh, energy back, but you put lots of energy in it. And if you don't find a way to do something beside that uh, verbal work, which is on a high psycholic, psychological mm -hmm. level, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I was look. Uh, then you might become ill or sick uh, over the time. You need something mm -hmm. that founds you, that gives you a proper base to be able to to, to do a good job. And and for me, that was craftsmanship in the okay. first place. So we we bought a very old house built in the 1930s and uh, rebuilt that house. And I learned if you find somebody who tells you how to use a tool and which tool to use, you can do a lot on your own and you can get very far by it. And I felt uh, a success uh, doing this rebuilding of the house uh, because you see at the end of the day what you have done and you feel it in your bones and in your hands. Uh, uh, they hurt. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, and I like that. I like that. Uh, working in the dust and, and getting making something. And I uh, felt a relief from my uh, very... Uh, I don't know the right term, head work uh, compared mm -hmm. to using your hands. And uh, because I was so motivated after that, I, I made a hobby which was like first building up a workshop. It's not the one you you you, you might ask for later. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about uh, that later, yes. Yeah, it's, it was a very old, uh, very small garage uh, carport thing, um, which I stuffed full with uh, tools and try to be a carpenter, work with wood. Uh, and then I found a crazy guy from your home country uh, in America. Uh, Jeff Spira was his name. He was a designer for boats. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, the River Elbe, uh, which might be a hint of the name of uh, my uh, brand, uh, flows through Hamburg. It's a beautiful river, and I was dreaming of going on the boat there, on a boat that I built myself. And this Jeff Spira had a very old, ancient internet website, which was nice, which, which was not graphically nice to look at. But the content was that he gave you a plan you could download for a little money, and people from all over the world downloaded the plans, build a boat, and send it to him, and he would answer <laughs> and give them advice. And and I told my wife, uh, you know what, I'm I'm going to build a boat now, which was which was not very. Uh, taken honestly or serious yeah. by her. But a couple of years later, uh, I managed to finish the boat. It was a giant project. took me five years. was a crazy project. Uh, I took a break for two years in between. Um, but then yeah, there comes the moment you will, uh, you, you realize, oh, this is going to come to an end pretty soon. And you have so much joy doing this. What, what, what's the next thing I'm going to build? And then I... Uh, it, it came to me you said it it's a spark in the head what what's mm -hmm. the yeah like a spark yeah like a spark yes uh, i was looking at this almost finished boat and and then there was the spark that the captains of ships write in their log book is it yes. the same word in english log. yes like captain's log yes a captain's log yes so they write their route they write their adventures they write uh make a protocol whatever they uh experienced and uh, somehow i came to the topic of writing logbook experience adventure that mixture and i ended up with writing instruments small pieces 
much smaller than boats, <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that have so much uh, in them, if you think it through, that what they can yes. give you, um, what you can do with them, but uh, writing, but also what you can do with them, uh, designing on them. Mm. And then there was the spark and never went away. And the first idea was uh, making writing instruments using the same materials as I used with my boat, which was wood. Okay. Uh, there was lots of brass. Usually uh, back then they had these, uh, it's a compass in Germany. What's the thing that yes, gives you compass. the direction? Mm -hmm. Compass. Mm -hmm. um, which usually was used out of uh, ebony brass and nice materials. That was the first idea to start uh, with, with something like that. Nice. So a pen design came out of this idea, this continuation that you've had this really kind of great fulfillment from making something with your hands, creating something. And yeah, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was not the the design by then. It was the fact I that I knew I wanted to make more with my hands, and mm -hmm. the next step should be writing instruments. I didn't have yeah. any idea how to do it back then. But. <laughs> <laughs> the spark never left the head. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that, I think, right about now and get into these writing instruments. But first, let me uh, let me talk uh, about one of our wonderful sponsors here yes. at The Pen Addict, and that is Squarespace. So this episode of The Pen Addict is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage your audience, sell anything, your products, services, and even the content you create. Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you can sell your products in an online store. That's something that I do. You know, whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has put has the tools you need to start selling online. You can get the best-in-class website templates, which I also use to customize and fit to your needs. It's as easy as browsing the category of your business to find a perfect starting place. No matter what your business is, Squarespace has a way to get you started quickly and easily, and you can customize it all with just a few clicks. And you can get to blogging. That's what I do a lot with Squarespace. They have powerful blogging tools to share your stories, photos, videos, and updates. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. So I'm a huge Squarespace fan. I've been using them for probably more than a decade. And if you want to check out the platform that I use to write the Pen Addict, have the Pen Addict shop, and host all kinds of information over at penaddict.com, head over to squarespace.com slash penaddict for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code penaddict to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash penaddict. And when you decide to sign up, Use the offer code PENADDICT to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the PEN Act. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and Relay FM. How did your first foray into pen making go? Was I'm figuring it was a wild success, right? Right from the get jump. No. <laughs> <laughs> it never no. is. It never no, is. <laughs> it, it never is. Uh, uh, as I said, uh, first I was intrigued by the fact uh, to do something with my hands, craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. And then I got stuck with writing instruments. And I was uh, doing some research. Uh, how ca how can I start? And I think as many pen makers start, you, you uh, find a website where they offer pen kits. And then you order some the metal parts and some nibs. And you try your luck. And then you realize, oh, uh, it's not that easy. <laughs> even though you yeah. have uh, instructions and stuff. So I was looking out for teachers. 
who could teach me how to do it. Something I usually always do or did in my life when I have a topic that intrigues me, I look out for experts in that field and ask them, would you mind teaching me? And my experience is uh, they usually enjoy teaching. Yeah. <laughs> so so I found it was uh, wood turning was the first uh, step into pen making. I had a wood, wood lathe was uh, turning entirely on the lathe uh, using kits, made a, a, a weekend course, another weekend course, diving in, diving in, diving in, and working mainly on all the pen kits you can get and always on the lookout for the next hot pen kit <laughs> to come out. Sure. And, <laughs> and uh, but I realized pretty quick that um, a A pen kit is nice for staying on a hobby level, and it was in my part, if I just wanted to, to do it as a side job, have some enjoyment, a couple of hours uh, in the basement and, and making a pen, having quite a quick success. Uh, that is what a pen kit offers you. Uh, it did not uh, fulfill my spark again. You call it spark, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the sure. thing in my head. Yeah. Um, because I was always stuck uh, with the parts of the kit, obviously, which were made out of metal. And so limitations, to, right. uh, yeah, limitations. are limitations in when you think of, mm, I have an idea in my head, how, how could do it? How could I do it myself and stuff? So I uh, was in the need of another teacher, and this time one that would teach me turning metal um, to become able to make my own kit or my kitless my first kitless pen mm -hmm. and that was i think it's called a rabbit hole in, in english uh, my dive in in the rabbit yep. hole of kitless pen making i found a teacher he was a genius he was an artist uh, a tinkerer um who uh, taught who, who was who enabled me to make the first pen Mm -hmm. It was not a fountain pen by then. It was a rollerball pen. I still have it in my pocket with me. Uh, I think I have some models that derived out of that uh, on my website, but the rollerball mm -hmm. pens are actually not models I offer quite offensive. If you ask for them, I will tell you, uh, yes, I will make one for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the focus is on fountain pens at, at yeah. the moment. It's funny when I was I was putting together my show notes. Um, you know, I'm I'm you know doing all my my reading and get, making sure I, I'm dialed in. And I la and eventually landed on a page. I was like, "What is this rollerball? I have never seen this before." And like, I've yes. obviously followed you for a couple of years, but that was kind of the the original thought and design of uh, you know kind of the first pins. You you were your first kitless type of pins. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, I, I can show it to you. Nobody else will see it. I'm sorry on the podcast. <laughs> well, we will have a link in the show notes so everyone can see what it what it looks like. Because even I was surprised when I went and when I found that on your website. I, yeah, I, I hold it very close to the camera now. It's made out yep. of brass. It's made mm -hmm. out of ebony. Mm -hmm. uh, so exactly as I said, uh, those were the materials I was thinking of building the boat. And uh, it's a rollerball pen that you have to turn to uh, have the, is it called nip? No, the, the rollerball thing to come out. Yeah, yeah the refill. Um, so you don't press on there, you don't click right. on there, you have to turn. And everything I like about writing instruments is uh, uh, that they give you a good time. 
So mm -hmm. there is no need to hurry to make them right. work. Um, yes. And, and I try to design writing instruments that start giving you a good time even by making them able to write, if that right. makes sense for you. Yeah. So for, for listeners, I'll have the link in the show notes, but what kind of stopped me in my tracks with the rollerball design was what Frank was showing me here is the, the deployment mechanism is this interesting twist mechanism that you you gotta you gotta spin it a few times to to mm -hmm. um you know have the refill in the in the writing position and then obviously reverse it to retract it but the idea of it what i see and is what you're describing to me is enjoying that slow process that's also part of the design and part of the reason why you're picking up this pen to write and it doesn't have to be this fast quick deployment and you know like oh i gotta get to write it's like i you design things which will we'll get more into the fountain pens here in a bit but you design things individually to be meaningful and enjoyed and to slow down right writing by writing just by its nature is a slow thoughtful process and just yes. that little twist mechanism on your pen which i just discovered days ago i'm like yeah like i get it this looks like this looks like frank <laughs> this looks like yeah. something frank would do and this was <laughs> the first thing that you one of the first designs that you made was the first one, uh, design I made, and this one I did not make all by myself. Obviously, I mm -hmm. did it with my teacher together uh, after my ideas, and then uh, we designed directly on the lathe. That is uh, how I work until today. I'm not very good in 2D or 3D designing CAD, mm -hmm. CAD on, on, on computer. Uh, of, of course, I need it when it comes to measuring uh, the measurements inside, which sure. are just a, a thousand of an inch uh, yes, or hundreds of millimeters. Um, but uh, I work more like a sculptor on the lathe. Yes. You put in a massive solid rod of material into a lathe and you take your tool and you start forming. That is a totally different design process than uh, modern designers would do it on, on, a, on a computer screen and turning it in every direction and figuring out. I want to see and feel it on the lathe. It's, uh, it's just the way uh, I am most comfortable with. And uh, then I see a form that I like. And after that, I, I have to go to the PC, the computer, <laughs> and find out how, make, how can I make the nip inside there fit and, uh, yeah. or the, the rollerball inlay and stuff. Mm -hmm. And if I figured that out, I leave the computer as quick as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so so how did you go from this ballpoint design you know working with kind of a mentor in designing this to deciding that you wanted to start a company that makes pens uh, it was it was deriving out of a dis discussion with my teacher he is uh he, he's 20 years older than me and he was always thinking of marketing as I'm a tinkerer, I'm an artist, I have this wonderful atelier and you have to come and find me first, but it was not so easy to find him because he mm -hmm. did not have a good inter website or whatever. And, and if you managed to find him, then he would not talk to you. He would have a cigar in his mouth and look at you and you, uh, you, you on your own had to find out the 
exquisitely and the special stuff about his work. Mm -hmm. And I said, people, I don't think that people uh, have the ability to to do that on their own. Um, I think you have to help people to tell how special that is what you're doing. Mm. Um, you need uh, art. Usually, needs a room to be recognized. Uh, there are experiments like uh, very famous violin players when they're standing in in New York in one of the biggest ball houses, and people are willing to pay four hundred dollars a night or even more to see them. Then mm. the same person stands in the underground station, plays the same quality of music. People mm. might not notice. They might notice, sure. oh, that's something good, but they will walk by because they are not in the room, in the mood, in the sense, in the context to realize what high-quality art they are wearing. Mm -hmm. So these were the kind of discussions. And I think he was he was more of a tinker. He built one thing, was excited, put it in a showroom, and if somebody comes, he sold it to him. Um, no marketing, nothing at all, and uh, because he was on the next step to the next product already. And we had this discussion on, well, uh, I think I need to present it. I want to present it for what it's worth. I need to be bold enough to price it for what it's worth, which is usually a hard step for an artist to price their own work because it's loaded with emotions. Yeah, and especially in the beginning. Especially in the beginning, but it never ends, actually. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, you, you, yeah, you get more self-confident, of course. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's always a struggle for an artist um, be, because everything you make is your baby and you, mm. you you have a different perspective on it than uh, if you would be a marketer or something and marketing somebody else's products. So and out of these discussions, uh, I had the idea, I, I want to present the world something different on a high-end level uh, in a niche um, that at that moment I could not find anybody else doing it. And that was uh, the idea of being uh, giving the customer, like when you go to a tailor, a bespoke tailoring service, you want a suit, mm -hmm. and you say, I want the white shirt, I want the black collar, I want the silver knobs, whatever, and, and the tailor... Mm -hmm does the custom suit to your measurements. So I was cutting down woods, I was cutting down ebony rods, I was cutting down metals to make up a little building case, uh, which you know from my website, I think, there are mm -hmm. pictures of it. And I give you the possibility to choose that wood combined with that metal, uh, and then you can take that nib and uh, in, in the color that suits your taste. And after that, I would start working. Yeah, I'm over here giggling. Frank sees me giggling because this is how he got me on one of his displays. We'll talk about that later. But uh, this is exactly how like the presentation was. And I was like, oh, yes, I need that one. No, not that one. The one, you know, two more over that one. <laughs> um, so we're going to we'll talk about that. But I think what I want to start with, with the brand and with Elwood and what you create is... I guess give me the idea behind the pocket master. Um, and I don't want to simplify the brand into like a single product, but I think what I appreciate about the pocket master is not just like the size and, and, and the craftsmanship is that, and I don't even know how to, to, to describe this, but there is a beauty and simplicity 
that I see out mm-hmm. of this product that it is not overbuilt, but it is so finely crafted, it feels special. So can you kind of give me um, the idea of how just this like singular design, either the, the Pocket Master actually comes in a, a couple of different sizes. We'll talk specifics and I'll have links so y'all can see all of these in the show notes. But how did you go from making a rollerball into coming up with a unique pin design that you wanted to share with the world? Mm-hmm. Well, the rollerball was was the start uh, with the teacher to come to a final product and the discussions got this idea of uh, going into this pen making thing. And uh, I was pretty sure I needed fountain pens to do it because there is uh, in the in the niche of high quality writing instruments, the fountain pen is king until today. And it's usually equipped with a with a gold nip, 18k gold nip, etc. And that was the niche I was looking out for myself. I did not want to do the ordinary. I did not want to compete with uh, mass manufacturers who, who, who would do it much better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I wanted to go the slow way, <laughs> which which is I think the special way. So mm-hmm. the Pocket Master is. One day it arrived from tinkering around on my lathe. I wanted to make a small thing because I read, I think I read an article about uh, pocket fountain pens. Um, And I have one. I think you will ask me if I uh, use pens from other manufacturers later or something. Yes. Uh, uh, Actually, I, I only have one from other manufacturers, but there are, of course, models from other people I see on Instagram that I like mm-hmm. and admire. Of course, I, I only have one. It's the Caveco Sport and Brass. Yeah. I have been Not using a shock. If you said, Brad, please guess the the singular <laughs> fountain pen, and you haven't told me this before, that would have been my exact guess. <laughs> yes, yes. But, <laughs> yes, but you didn't sure. I didn't tell you. What? No, 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 no. no, no. I, I would have guessed that 100% accurately. Yeah, and uh, the only thing I do not like about this model is the size of the nip of the one mm-hmm. I have. It has a small nip. Yes. And then I read an article about uh, some some weird competition bet, uh, between manufacturers making the smallest pocket fountain pen in the world, something, which is weird because the smaller a nip gets, the harder it writes because it cannot mm-hmm. it cannot bend. Yes. It's just physics prohibits. Yeah, they're stiffer. The smaller uh, nibs are, uh, def- are stiffer. stiffer. And the smaller a fountain pen becomes, uh, uh, the worse the writing experience becomes, especially if you have huge hands like me. Yes, very fair. And so, uh, and I was uh, discovering that there was this competition. They became smaller and smaller, smaller nibs, lighter and lighter. And Caveco did something different. They used uh, an honest material, brass, heavy. And they had this very simple design. I think it was an hexagon or something. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it mm-hmm. is made actually. It's made simple, but very very clever. And uh, they made some round pieces to it, so you can turn the other side on the end, and you have a full grown writing instrument. I like that. Yeah. Um, and so I came up with my own idea, which which is not actually uh, some kind of innovative uh, design. There are other people who have a thread on the end of the pen and you screw the cap on the end. Of. But uh, as usual with design, uh, 
Or in photography, there's a saying, uh, why, why, why should I do if you become a photographer? Everybody else took pictures of the Rocky Mountains. Sorry. Yeah, but not you. You can go there and find your very personal perspective. And I think it's the same in pen making or with every kind of art or craft. Um, you can start today and make your own thing, your own design. So, and I cannot tell you how I came there. I just can tell you I was having sleepless nights and endless tries. And one day suddenly it was there. It was the pocket master. And I, 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 I used, uh, I used a very special bronze. I call it, it's ship. What's, what's the propeller, boat propeller oh. bronze. Mm -hmm. Sure. Very hard, very Uh, very unpleasant to work with. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it has to uh, survive in the sea without uh, getting rusty and stuff. So I made one out of boat propeller bronze <laughs> and uh, went to my teacher to show him. And he oh. is—he was very, very critical. Always. Sure. He, he usually did not like what I showed. Him <laughs> and he got silent and he said, that's pretty good. Hmm. And out of his mouth, that is comparable to the Red Dot Design Award or something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the peak. And uh, it gave me so much confidence. I said, that's it. Stick to it. Refine it. Uh, and it took me two more years to refine all the small steps that might not be obvious when looking at it, but you have one in your hands. And I think mm -hmm. through time and through use, you experience that all the small details are quite worked out. Mm -hmm. What... What was the driving factor to start sharing this with other people, you know, making a storefront and, you know, being, yeah. you know, more out in front and saying, hey, I, I, I'm really proud of what I made. I think it's important and I want to share it with with other people. Like, what was that? What was that turning point that said, yeah, I think I want to try to like maybe sell these and share these with the world? Yeah. I, th I think it's my personal character. My, my wife would say uh, it's uh, the, the wish for applause. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there was a reason why I liked being a DJ, standing in front of yeah. people playing music. I like and getting something back, some energy. Yeah. That gives you motivation. Um, and for me, stepping out in front of people always has something to do with coming out of your comfort zone. Um, mm -hmm presenting something your inner to the outer world and uh, i th i always experience if you do that you get something back it's not only the applause but you get i in my case get the energy back that motivates me to to keep on going mm. and to realize it's good um I, and i need that for me to keep things going sure because other, otherwise you just land into a into a, I don't know, into a shelf and get dusty. <laughs> I, I, I want to communicate and to go out there is the best way to get in touch with people and to communicate. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely feel that. And like, it's not easy to, to put yourself out there, put your thoughts and ideas and, you know, uh, out there for a public display, if you will. Um, so I want to talk about what is on public display and talk about some of the specific models, materials, designs, how you craft things. Like I want to talk, I want to get into the making of things yes. a little bit. Uh, first, let me uh, talk about our second sponsor and of this episode. And that is our good friends over at Pinchalet. 
So they sell authentic, amazing rollerballs, fountain pens, ballpoints, mechanical pencils, and so much more. They have all your favorite brands like Monteverde, Pelican, Lamy, Pilot, Namiki, Sailor, Caveco, and of course, are an authorized dealer of all of these brands. They have very fast and reliable customer service. They run special discounts twice a month, including closeout specials every two weeks. They're always adding new styles of pens every single month, as well as all the brands I mentioned earlier. Pen Chalet sells limited edition pens and all the pen accessories you ever need, like pen carrying cases, pen holders, refills, fountain pen converters, and so much more. They have free shipping on orders over $75 in the United States, and they also sell internationally with very reasonable shipping rates. Maybe we can get Frank into his second Caveco uh, over there, although I bet he <laughs> well, I bet he has a pretty good source in Germany for Cavecos. The Pen Chalet also has low prices on high-quality pens and offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So go to penchalet.com, click the podcast link at the top of the website, enter the password penaddict for this week's special offers, and you get the code you need to save 10% on anything at penchalet. So I definitely uh, want y'all to go check out the the link uh, in the show notes to penchalet. They're going to have some awesome, awesome deals for you on, on the page. We are recording this a little bit early. Uh, so the page is not quite updated, but you can see the previous uh, awesome sale um, that uh, Ron has set up for us over at at Penn Chalet, including uh, the aforementioned Stipula fountain pen, which I mentioned uh, the previous weeks, the Y Studio uh, wooden notepad stand, and the wonderful Pelican M205 demonstrator. So go check those out over at PennChalet.com. Enter the Enter the code uh, podcast at the link. At, oh, sorry. Click the podcast link at the top of the website. Enter the code PENADDICT for this week's special offers. And thank you so much to Pen Chalet for sponsoring Relay FM and the Pen Addict. So we'll, uh, I'll, I will save our, uh, our pen conversation, our other brands conversation for later, which you alluded to, because I want to talk about, I want to talk about your, your materials and your brand. So what, what year did Elwood start? What year, what did your, what year did you start selling fountain pens kind of like, or rollerballs even kind of publicly? Uh, when? Uh, yeah. When it's only I a few think, years ago, right? Yeah, it's it's not that that long ago. I think it was 2016, 17-ish, okay. uh, around that time. At that time, I still had my company, uh, social social work company, which was backing my uh, adventures in going out <laughs> sure, there sure. And, and representing. Because if if you want to represent, unfortunately, it it costs time, energy, and money uh, to, yep. to to do so. Um, and to build up a brand does not happen overnight, uh, so you need uh, lots of breath to to walk that path. Mm-hmm. And so, like six years ago, I rented a store in in my hometown in Hamburg, which uh, has a very new, very exciting, and, and I think quite famous uh, Philharmonic, Philharmonic uh, mm-hmm. house of for, mm-hmm. of music. And close to that, there are thousands of tourists walking. Close to that, I opened up a showroom. Um, because my idea was back then, uh, I make so special pens so slowly on a very material-oriented base. Uh, I think people have to take it in their hands, touch it, and then they fall in love with it. They would never buy it online. That was my thinking six or seven years ago. Sure. Um, so I, I thought I needed a showroom to to present in a proper manner, and uh, it was a 
very, very uh, exciting experience. Uh, lots of, uh, took me lots of energy, <laughs> to be yeah, honest. Sure, sure. Uh, I under, underestimated many, many things you have to take care of when you have a showroom. First of all, it's a showroom, so you cannot uh, uh, stand there just in your working clothes. You have mm. to look proper. The window has to look proper. I underestimated how many pigeons and seagulls we had in the harbor city. So how many times I had to clean the window. Simple, simple facts like that, which are time-consuming. Right. Con and and uh, after two years, I realized it was just uh, taking so much time of making pens, uh, having time with your family, uh, have, uh, having a workshop, a family, a company, and a showroom was, was quite demanding. Even though we were quite successful, because my neighbor was a violin maker, and he knew all the kind, of, sometimes even world famous musicians from the uh, from the opera house, there, they came to us to play music mm -hmm. for uh, the head going around because they were looking for a nice place, calm, uh, to, just to do their thing. Right. So we had this this event thing going on, which was great, uh, but. Uh, it was even more time consuming <laughs> so so and 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 one day i sat down and then realized i have to uh, take a decision which means focusing on some things that are important and for me uh, it was the thing i wanted more time in the in the workshop and okay. i uh, wanted more time with my family and uh, so i skipped the show part which felt very disappointing at that moment mm -hmm. um, but the first customers who came to my atelier which i think you got to know over instagram or my website and uh, you you do not become tired to saying oh that's a nice room i think yeah <laughs> um, i realized that is that my private uh, idea of creating a nice room atmosphere that is something that has nothing to do with the term showroom <laughs> And uh, but because it's so thought out and because it's so personal, it uh, does its job even better than any show window or show would yes. do. So and and I had the customer sitting there uh, in the dust. He said, "Please don't clean before I come." <laughs> there's <laughs> a cat. There's a cat running around, and all these things you would not allow yourself in a, in a high representative thing. That is what the people love because it's so it's so real, it's so true. It took me a long time to realize that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. As I said, there's a struggle of an artist. You know, <laughs> you think you always think you have to. Uh, sometimes you have to make something up, uh, which which you don't. Yeah, I mean it's a process, right? And like yes. you have to make mistakes and to 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 move forward, and you have to figure out what works best for you and. Yes. And you know, work works best for your customers, and then you know, eventually, hopefully, it all clicks. And like it, it certainly seems like it has from from my perspective. <laughs> so, yes, and, yeah. and and the funny thing is, the the showroom, of course, was good for for the brand. It, it mm -hmm. leveled, uh, put the level of the brand higher because mm -hmm. uh, people realize he's taking that seriously. So well, if you take. Let's Let's talk about that real quick, and um, I will circle back to some of the uh, the pen materials and oh, yeah. design questions that I have. But we keep referencing this the showroom because I made a point in the in the show notes to talk about um, your workshop. I should say not yes. the showroom, your workshop. Um, it's really 
lived in <laughs> in a very interesting fashion. I just find the pictures of the style of the workshop fascinating. And as I was, you know, doing my research to to talk to you, that that didn't necessarily it, it there was some thought behind the, yes. the workshop and the design and the layout. So just give me a little bit uh, of discussion and I'll share, I'll be sure to share the, one of the pictures that I referenced to Frank um, mm -hmm. in the show notes. So Y'all can see what we're talking about here, but give me an idea of your workshop design layout and why it is that way. Okay. It's a mixture of a man cave. I think that's the, <laughs> the English term. Yeah. Is a, the, the, the first piece that came in there was a, was a, an oven. It's called mm -hmm. a Bullayan, but I think it's a Canadian design they used in their cabins in Canadian, which are very hard to, to get heated. So it mm -hmm. sucks the air from underneath and puts it uh, out on top. Very nice to look at. Beside that is a couch and an old trunk. And then I have very old uh, machinery in there, which by itself is just beautiful to look at. Mm -hmm. Funny how even for people who don't have any clue what these machines could be used for, but they like the look. So it's vintage machinery out of the 60s, out of the 70s, uh, which for me is the best machinery because uh, it's so precise. Those were the times they used much more material than they would use today to make precision machinery. They don't have computers on there. there there's no. Uh, I have to use my hands to work these machines, which I like. And uh, then the rest of the showroom is it, it's pretty high ceiling, uh, lots of windows, very, very much of natural light in there, and old uh, printer desks, I think that's what it's called. You know, in the old time when they had letter presses, they had these. Yep. Is it shelf? Is that the word? Yeah, the shelves with like the, so they have, and this is one of the things that fascinates me the most, and I'll, I'll let you continue on it, but they're basically like uh, print drawers, like like Frank's saying, like in a letterpress yeah. shop, you would, you would have like these very thin, probably like a two inch, two to three inch tall drawer, and then like a yeah. stack of like 10 to 20 of those drawers to where all the papers would live. And they would just have, you'd have your different types of papers or you could have them, they could, you know, serve as like drying racks afterwards, things like that. So it's a very compact, unique shelving space. Yeah, and they not only had their papers in there, they had the, the letters in there. Yeah, so, so like the so letter for the storage. Take the drawer out, it has, it's divided 100, 200 times, just yeah. very small, which makes it perfect uh, for all the little pieces I have to store yep. and stuff. Yep. And uh, on, on some of the drawers, uh, there's even the name of the, uh, the whiting, what is it, the font, I think. Yeah, the font, font. The so they have different sizes, different shapes, all the little individual blocks. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're still written on there. And yeah. I, they're, they're so loaded with history. So every time I come in there, I feel uh, in, a, yeah, in a creative mood uh, that helps me doing what I do. Yeah. Yep. So let's let's talk about materials then. Yes. Um, so this is a two-part question, maybe a little bit loaded question. What is your favorite material to make a fountain pen from? And then second, what is your customer's favorite material? Because I have a feeling those might be two separate things. Yeah, that's, that's true that they are different, but both are hard to answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, to be honest, my favorite material is 
usually the one I don't know and I am just about to experience. So because mm. I'm always on the hunt for something new. When mm -hmm. I look to the ones I, I use on a regular basis, I really like working with brass. Mm -hmm. It's just so, so smooth to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the feel of copper, but I hate working copper. It makes ah. long, very, very sharp... Uh, curls and you need oil and and to even and, and makes your 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 tools dull and stuff but when it's ready uh it's special yeah um what surprised me is how good it is to work in gold that is something okay. you might ask later as well for what's interesting coming next there's nothing mm -hmm. on my website about it yet uh i uh, it, it might become my favorite material not because of the not because of the value of sure. course it's it's of course it's the most valuable uh, material but it worked perfectly well on the lathe it kept huh. the threads like a charm um uh, everything on working with gold was a pleasure which i did not expect mm -hmm. because it took me three years to go to get <laughs> uh, the guts <laughs> to find yeah. the, the the boldness to to work on this precious material Sure. Um, and of course, uh, uh, that might, uh, it would be good if that might become the uh, best loved <laughs> material of my customer. <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't complain on that one. No, I wouldn't complain on that one, no. <laughs> and, and, and of so, course, I like, uh, even though Elbwood, it's, it's called Elbwood, I started with wood mm -hmm. and I love wood. Uh, it, it is a very complicated material to use it on whiting instrument if you mm -hmm. don't stabilize the wood, use epoxy or uh, CA glue or something. If you want to keep the wood in a natural state, all you have as a chance is giving it the time it needs to dry uh, to get the tension out of the wood because you have so thin uh, pieces in the end. Mm -hmm. um, it It is the material with the most natural touch and feel mm -hmm. to it. I think it connects the most to the earth, to an earthy feel or natural feeling, and I really do love uh, ebonite. Is it yeah. called uh, ebonite? How do how do you pronounce? Yeah, it? I mean, yeah. Ebonite. I mean, I say ebonite, but I think yeah, like ebonite. it's like yeah. And then that's my my pen is is ebonite and silver. Yes, uh, silver hardware. So, yeah, that's a fun fun material. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, silver is very special. Yeah. To, to work with and because it is so it's not even only precious it is so um i don't know the right term it can look so different it can be very yeah. high high polished it can mm -hmm. be matted it can be brushed it can be blackened mm -hmm. it uh, yeah it's a special yeah you and i when i designed my pen which i actually kind of want to talk to you about just the design process in in general working with customers um that was the part where we went back and forth the most on just the the silver hardware and yes. deciding what to do for for that the style the look how is it going to look today how is it going to look in 2 years from now mm -hmm. right like all those things are a consideration when you're working with precious metals right yes and how does it look today it is looks it amazing <laughs> it gets better right it's one of those things that wears in and get, it just gets better with age right like it doesn't, it, it takes on this this patina and like the little bit of, of tarnish and it has these interesting um, variances in what's exposed versus what's capped. And you can see like, 
you know, the, the threading on the cap, you know, you can see kind of more of the original silver color, but where I've gripped it and it's, it's taking on its own personality there, which I love pens that do get worn with age, right? Like I don't, I use my pens, right? These, these pens are made to be used. I, I've, I've always said that. And, you know, I'll carry this pen in my pocket. You know, it's a very nice, very expensive pen, but I don't buy things that I'm not going to use. I'm not going to set this up on a shelf. You make this pen for me to put in my pocket and take out and write, not to put in a display case and and show it off, right? I mean, that's that's the theory behind all the things that you make. Yes. I do I do have customers that uh, just do it. They put it in their... Uh, yeah, put it, and that's okay too. In, yeah. the, in their showcase. Yeah. But I think every piece I make is allowed to be used and should be used. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, I, I love this conversation with you. I could sit here. <laughs> we could we could have a two uh, two hour conversation. I want to wrap this next question because I think they might kind of relate, and it's just a question about uh, the description on your website. And you you can correct my pronunciation. Um, you have Elwood, and it says the 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 Hanseatic pen yeah. maker. Is yes. that a fair pronunciation? So I was like, I was doing my research trying to figure out what this what this was. And I think there's an interesting uh, background on that name. Can you tell me why that's an important uh, kind of like subtext to the overall creativity of, of the website and of the products, I should say? Mm -hmm. uh, Hamburg is an Hanseatic city. Uh, there are other cities in Germany and around the Baltic Sea that are Hanseatic cities. The Hanse uh, in German was a, a trader's, uh, what, what is it? It's not a company. It's like a group, a, 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 a group guild? of tradesmen, a guild, a guild. That, yeah. is, that is the English term. Mm -hmm. um, they, they usually, those usually were towns close to waterways where they could mm -hmm. ship their goods and they protected themselves from pirates. Mm. <laughs> uh, it, it derived in the mid medieval times, so 1500, 1600, something like that. And they, these, this guild made up some rules to, to honor. So, and there are some sayings still relevant today. Um, when you make a deal, you shake your hands, you, you, You give yourself your hands, and that is the deal. It's more important than what's written in the contract. You look into your eyes, you give you your hands, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you make an honest deal. Mm -hmm. um, so honesty was uh, transparency. So very old uh, values, but very relevant today. Mm -hmm. And they were very proud. Um, they were very successful tradesmen. They're very rich, some of those mm -hmm families became in the early days and they built huge buildings especially in hamburg you guys would love it in america because you don't have buildings that old <laughs> right you don't have thousand, exactly thousand year old buildings right and, and when you come over here you, you look at them and think wow what is that it's all made of stone and so much wealth and stuff and they contributed to the community by for example building a, a town hall or mm. building concert houses or building churches or whatever. And uh, because of this proudness and this pride, uh, they took uh, some extra, what is it, self-consciousness uh, when it comes to politicians, to kings and queens, to monarchy and stuff. For example, in Hamburg, the town hall, there are steps to go upstairs. 
and there is up today the, the mayor of the town uh, stands on top of the stairs no matter how important the visitors are they have to mm. walk up the stairs <laughs> it was more important in times of sure. monarchy because oh. usually you go down to your knees when the king or the queen are arriving but here they have to look up to you <laughs> and that is <laughs> those are just some f nice historical facts uh, that i like that have some regional meaning but actually they have some global meaning in them as well because you, you don't buy uh, or you don't invest in one of my pieces if you don't believe in these values right right and and then and it's like a it, all this came out when like you and i were making a pin right like i decided to reach out to you i saw a material i liked and we essentially worked out all of the details on a handshake agreement right in yes. on the front to manufacture this thing and like i had my like we didn't necessarily know each other but i had my faith in in you and what you're going to make and you had your faith in me as a customer that hey he's actually going to pay for this thing when we're done <laughs> yes <laughs> but um but, th but that's how our design process went i was like hey uh frank this this is what i want how can we do this and then we just have this one-to-one -one conversation, handshake mm. deal, um, talking about craftsmanship and, and making a, a beautiful product and it, it all works out perfectly. So I think that, that in my experience, that really comes through in how you present, you know, Elwood online and the products that you make, it really, it kind of ties everything in together, right? Like it mm -hmm. feels like one cohesive brand, and product and there's like this through line of the story and the design and the creativity and the craftsmanship that like i can see as an outsider but that only comes from like the person behind the lathe which is you to put all that together so i i i find it very impressive so oh thank you yeah it, it was a lot of effort to to sure to get there sure um but i realized this this trust worthiness mm -hmm. what it has to do it uh, it, it works i mean it's a yeah, little crazy if i think I, I, I still sometimes <laughs> don't don't believe it when people from all over the world go yeah. to my online shop and buy two or even three pieces mm -hmm. uh, pay, pay via paypal and my system tells them well i make one thing after the other it might be <laughs> four might to be six months <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> until they get there and yeah. they, they don't seem to mind uh, at yeah. first i i thought uh, it would never work but Uh, I think because it's just the way it is and I tell the way it is and there's no right. show, people trust and yep. do it and yep. are happy to wait. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I don't want to keep you too much longer. So I want to, I want to preface this next question and then maybe I'll get you out of here on this. I think about design a lot, yeah. whether it's any type of products. It doesn't have to be pens, stationary. And I was reading an interview um, of yours where we were talking about the design and I've kind of alluded to earlier, like I, I hate saying the, the, the designs are simple, but because they're not, they're extremely complex, but they, the appearances are such that where it's like a simple, you get the idea. Anyone can get yes. the idea of what they see when they see an Elwood pen. And one of the quotes you you used or one of the phrases you used in this interview was the path of reduction. Mm -hmm. um, 
in a design. And that really resonated with me because I always felt like my job, if I was ever designing a product, is, I I guess, kind of twofold. One, I had to, my design had to represent, um, the customer had to know what to do with the product when I provided it to them, right? I Mm -hmm. created in a way that they don't have questions about how to use a product. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I also put my stamp on it in that I believe in this design and it may not be for everybody, right? And there's this, this the way you described path of reduction. Can you elaborate on that idea a little bit? Because I think that's a good way to think about making things. Like I've never wanted to make something for everybody, if that makes sense. And I think that path of reduction kind of falls into that category. Yes, it does. Um, the one advantage you have being a single person designing things is that you can rely on your own decisions. You don't rely on a marketing team or on a sales team who say, oh, it's not uh, for the masses or it's not uh, not everybody likes it. So, mm-hmm. so you can, uh, if you find the guts to do it, put out a, a thing that's well thought out knowing not everybody will like exactly this piece but others will love it because Mm -hmm. of these reasons. And those are the ones resonating to your design. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, reducing things, bringing, focusing on the most important part of a thing is always tough work. I mean, you you, you work with, uh, you're blogging, um, Mm -hmm. you're podcasting. To come to the point, the essence of something is lots of work preparation thinking over and over can i leave this word out how can i get the message out there so and um so at first glance it might look simple but in reality it was a whole lot of work yeah and my design idea was to find a form that gives stage to the materials i'm Mm. having now i encountered now or might encounter in, in in the future and sometimes if you look at, at the whole world of, of, of pens, I mean, there are so many variables of pens out there. Sometimes I get the impression there is a material everybody uh, likes and that it's hyped, so it's used by the industry. Mm-hmm. And if you uh, leave away the material and only look at the form, you, you get some disappointment pretty quick. <laughs> sure. But, uh, so I, I was making lots of effort to put uh, in the form so it can uh, function with every almost every material put out because that is a sign mm. of quality for the form mm, yeah. material can uh, can uh, make enhance a show it. and yeah. enhance it yes yeah. uh, but it can also uh, m- make uh, mistakes in the form disappear because the mm. material itself is so nice mm. but form uh you cannot make a mistake yeah (laughs) very true um and these are thousands of inches sometimes and the funny thing is uh, it took me so much time because uh, some mistakes i made actually went into the final pen Uh, i was making a mistake on the lathe screaming Mm. because it was the last step of of the pen Uh, i thought i don't know and then i looked at it wow that's even better than before (laughs) (laughs) And then this mistake, a thought to be a mistake, became a very important part of a, just a little sleek angle, mm. and it makes it more elegant. Mm. Nice. 
So reducing yeah. is hard work. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. That's the hardest. That's the yes. hardest. That's the hardest part. Um, well, Frank, this has been amazing. Is there anything I, I want to give you an opportunity if you want to, uh, you know, I'll have all the links to your, your website and, and everything. Is there anything you want to share with anyone? I know you're, you're always bringing in new materials. I love seeing all, all the work that you do. So I will definitely point everyone to, to the website to check everything out. Is there anything else you want to share with anyone? I think, uh, one thing, uh, because it's the biggest adventure for me so far, I, I mentioned gold before. Yeah, I don't have I don't have it online yet. Okay, um, I I will go to Dubai in in fall. I think to mm -hmm. I think there's a pen show. I'm not good mm -hmm. in visiting pen shows. They have to be better in that. I thought yeah. there was just yeah. the Dutch pen show last weekend. I couldn't manage. That, that's on my bucket list: San Francisco, okay. Washington D.C., London. Yeah, I want to be more outgoing next year. That's. Okay. <laughs> um, I might come back to you uh, asking for advice in in the future. Absolutely, where to go. And but but the golden part is very special. As I told you, it took me so much uh, time to find the the boldness to work with this very expensive material. My problem is I work out of solid material, right? Not thin, yeah, uh, leaves, uh, solid. right? And this one became, I think, the best one I ever made. All right. Well, uh, you have to share that with me so I can share that with uh, with others. When, and maybe when I can send you a picture of that one and get an honest <laughs> opinion back. Right. And I'm not saying that because it's so expensive. This is the mo this will be the most expensive piece I've ever made. I had sleepless right. nights about that. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's hammer blown. I use a hammer and hammer mm -hmm. on a piece uh, a rod of gold and mm -hmm. make a hammer-blown pocket master out of 750 18k rose gold wow. which just looks looks amazing um and that would be something if i if i find the time i would like to send you a picture and maybe you give me uh, an opinion on it or maybe you can share it Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been amazing. Um, again, I could talk design, you know, maybe I will have to uh, get myself over to your area and come see the see the workshop that I am uh, so much in love with. And I obviously love the products. And I really, really appreciate the time you spent with us today. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, the, the future of Elwood and everything that you're going to make. Thank you for having me. It was, all right. was, was a pleasure. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a wrap. Uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Pen Attic Podcast. And we will be uh, back next week with more uh, fun pen stationery and uh, amazing writing uh, instrument talk. So thank you. And we will we'll see you again next week.